Birnbaum is hurt. Touchdown, Idaho. Birnbaum's down at the 33. His back or his neck, uh, but you can see pressure right up the middle. Kosi will come. Nofoinga comes up the middle, and there's just a big pressure that's put on by Maltosi, and then it's off to the races for Nofo. Huge turn of events. Cougars were looking like they were going to put it in the end zone or get three out of it. Touchdown like they did, Baylor did to UNLV. What an incredible finish to that football game a week ago. That'll be the final snap. Welcome back, guys. This is honestly the take two of this week. Uh, a few lucky individuals tuned in to the first attempt at recording this for a marathon two-minute mute session courtesy of uh, Brian Marceau here, which, by the way, I'm your host, Brian Marceau. Back from my bye week, I took week five of Big Sky Play but of the college football season. It was not week five of the uh, conference season, but week five of the FCS season. I took off. I'm back for week six. You guys know the drill. The power rankings are delivered 12 through 1. The rankings themselves are not my rankings. I can tell you my votes, but it's a compilation of votes from Big Sky Podcast Network contributors, guys like Mike Nugent and Brent Wahlberg from Grizz Fan Pod, guys like Kyler Neal from FCS Fans Nation, Eagle Power Hour, guys like, good God, sorry, I'm dying in the comments section already looking at Captain58 saying the silent professor in take one, man. Um, the joke on Tubbs of the club, if you're not a Tubbs listener, is that I'm Grandpa Brian because I'm the least tech-savvy dude. And boy, did that two-minute mute session do nothing to uh, kill that omicron. So anyway, back to back to the votes, guys. It's it's all the Big Sky Podcast Network shows and contributors. Colby Peterson, Dustin Chapman from Weber State Weekly, both Ryans from R&R CatCast, myself, Martin Heemstra, and Dallas Hammer, when he remembers to send his in from Tubbs of the club. Plus, Big Sky Beat reporters, guys like... Greg Woods, who covers Idaho State, guys like Taryn Kovach, who used to cover Idaho, but is still uh, pretty pretty tapped in, guys like Coulter Nuanez from Skyline Sports. The votes are averaged, and then I run through the teams 12 through 1. Now, a little change this week. We're deep enough into the season that it's pretty clear some teams, I would just be saying the same thing every single week particularly a couple of the uh, lower tier teams in the conference. So I'm going to begin sticking forks in teams and just slamming through a few uh, so that I can spend more time on the teams that are interesting. And the first team, shockingly, uh, we're going to start. We start from the bottom always. Number 12. First team we're going to be sticking a fork in is Idaho State. And it brings me no joy because if you listen to press conferences, any social media postings from Idaho State, Head coach Charlie Regal for Idaho State sounds like the kind of person that you would want as a head coach, a guy who's already invested in a place that has absolutely churned through coaches, a guy who's invested in developing the program. Look, Idaho State is just not there yet, and they're not going to be there this year. This week, Idaho State, look, they travel to Bozeman, lose 37-6 to to, to Montana State, the game's not close at all. Montana State leads 34 to 6 at halftime and essentially puts in cruise control. Three points are scored in the second half total, of course, from Montana State. Uh, from the Idaho State angle, look, they're on their third string quarterback. Sagan Gronauer has is just he's not the guy, but hey, Charlie Regal knew he wasn't the guy. And that's why he's number three quarterback. He he goes six to twenty-three. 
against Montana State, 173 yards, one touchdown, throws three picks. Uh, leading rusher again, Raiden Hunter, who is always their leading rusher, but rushes eight times for 31 yards, so sub four yards per carry. Maybe the only bright spot offensively is Xavier Gullery, wide receiver, eight catches for 80 yards, uh, relatively impressive feat for a team to three for 137, 173 yards total. But look, the reason I'm sticking a fork in Idaho State, the Bengals are 0-6. Their one competitive game came in week five against Montana, but there's a huge asterisk. Yeah, Idaho State lost 28-20, to 20, so very good on-paper performance. It was not a competitive game. Montana led 28-6 to six and put it in cruise control. Idaho State scores a garbage touchdown at the very end to keep it close. So minus that one, uh, still, it's a loss. The team's own six. Minus that asterisk of on paper the score looks okay but it wasn't idaho state has only gotten their ass kicked every single game and truly even though it was an eight point game they got their ass kicked against montana so look that's this is just who this team is there's one winnable game on idaho state's schedule it's this week hosting cal poly if idaho state doesn't beat cal poly i really don't believe that there's a single win on the Bengals schedule. Maybe if Northern Arizona turns in a, a shitty game on October 22nd, that's in Pocatello as well. Uh, th those are maybe out of one of those games. Idaho state has a prayer to, to steal that fingers crossed that the Bengals actually do snag a win because as much, as much fun as it is to make fun of big sky teams, honestly, the conference is better when more teams are at least solid or at least kind of okay. And, uh, yeah, Idaho State right now is night. It's neither of those. So we're going to stick a fork in the Bengals. There's essentially nothing the team does well other than lose football games. So, look, I could give you a statistical breakdown of how many how many yards the team purges. I could give you a statistical breakdown of how many turnovers the team accrues. It doesn't matter right now. Idaho State's in a huge rebuild, 51 new guys on the team. This is just where they're at. By the way, this episode is brought to you by Hughes River Expedition. Doing a take two left is a definitely not uh, the easiest way to start a show. But we're officially sticking a fork in Idaho State until further notice. Moving on to number 11. Cal Poly is a team I am not going to stick a fork in yet. Cal Poly, relatively interesting week in my mind. Uh, the Mustangs travel to Flagstaff. This was a game... Uh, honestly, second consecutive week that I've recorded Cal Poly's got to be telling themselves. This is a game Mustang should have held on to uh, with spoiler alert. Cal Poly loses to Northern Arizona 31 to 29 uh, real tight game. Most way through Cal Poly uh, in the final quarter uh, scores nine points. One of those touchdown with failed conversion, which, Hey, that's the, the thing I'm going to get to here. Cal Poly loses by two and twice failed two-point conversions. The first one coming in the first quarter, first score of the game, to, would have been up 7-0, what would have been up 8-0, the two-point conversion attempt failed. Had Cal Poly not missed those two, those two extra points via two-point conversions, this game's an OT. So, look, this might be a game Bo Baldwin tells himself he was a little bit too cute because those, those gambles – Look, that, that's the difference in the game is those two those two missed conversions. Had Cal Poly made the first as an extra point kick, probably should kick an extra point, go into overtime, and look, Northern Arizona kind of sucks too. So I don't know. Uh, Spencer Brash started at quarterback again. Jaden Jones has an unspecified lower leg injury. No timetable for his return that I'm aware of. If, some, if we have a Cal Poly aficionado who can uh, clue us in on that, please go ahead. But there's not a Cal Poly podcast 
to my knowledge, Dick Lewison. But uh, Spencer Brash has looked pretty good in, in a consecutive weeks for Cal Poly as a backup. He, he was a starter for Cal Poly last season, transferred from Cal, goes 29-51 to for 374 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Leading the way on the ground for Cal Poly is Adam Garwood, 17 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. Top receiver for Cal Poly is, you've heard this name on this show, Chris Coleman. He's their best receiver, five receptions, 118 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but also Josh Cuevas, another name if you're going to watch Cal Poly. Because Cal Poly certainly throws the ball around. Look at their pass to rush ratio. Cal Poly passes 51 times to 28 rushes. And uh, for those rushes are Spencer Brash rushes, meaning at least one sack. So not 28 is not the actual rush number. Cal Poly is starting to look like a Bill Baldwin team at least in moments. That's why I'm not sticking a fork in these guys because we were certainly seeing developmental growth from last season to this season with Cal Poly having some, at least a handful of close games. The Mustangs sit right now at one and four, but different than Idaho state, you know, Cal Poly, actually I lied. Cal Poly has had a close game uh, against Northern Arizona. So well, got, got a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, every loss other than their narrow win at San versus San Diego was a one point win. So uh, maybe I, I got ahead of myself, but I'm not sticking a fork yet in Cal Poly because at the very least in moments, this looks like a football team where you can, you can see the vision Bo Baldwin has for what Cal Poly is going to be, which is essentially Eastern Washington in the early to mid two thousands pass the ball around a crew, a ton of yards probably aren't going to stop anyone. Cause that's even what Bo Baldwin's good Eastern teams did. Uh, you know, Cal Poly has Idaho State on on slate this coming week uh, in Pocatello. You got to say, Cal Poly, from a Cal Poly perspective, maybe I should stick a fork in Cal Poly. I just think the team's a little more interesting than Idaho State. Schedule-wise, if Cal Poly doesn't beat Idaho State, their next winnable game is probably closing the season on November 19th, hosting Portland State. Uh, in between Idaho State, Portland State, Cal Poly gets Eastern, Davis, Montana, Montana State. So, uh, maybe this is my personal thing of just liking Cal Poly and thinking they're a little bit fun. So the fork's not stuck in them quite yet. Uh, but Cal Poly comes in at, at number 11, but other like big takeaway for Cal Poly. I said that the team doesn't play any defense. Well, Hey, they get, they surrendered 465 yards to NAU. The, the Mustangs did gain 465 yards, but uh, you can tell what kind of game that is that both teams are threatening for right around 500 total yards. Uh, also, Turnovers two to two. So uh, maybe fingers crossed something that's going to matter for Cal Poly. I don't think it is. Look, I've seen, seen these guys play. They certainly can't stop anyone at all through the air. Uh, 358 passing yards from RJ Martinez would show that again. Uh, rushing is it's kind of hit or miss. They're not a good rush defense, but re relatively speaking, Cal Poly defends the run better than they defend the pass. But uh, Cal Poly in at number 11. We're going to move on. I've got another team I'm sticking a fork in, guys. So that's two teams. Northern Colorado, they come in at number 10. Fork is officially stuck in Northern Colorado. Uh, not 100% fair to, to Northern Colorado because this is not the least talented football team in the big sky in, in any way. But look, Northern Colorado, they're in particular on offensively, Northern Colorado's strategy is just abominable. And the only way it's going to work at all is either play a shitty team or the Northern Colorado, a shitty team like Lamar or a shitty team like Houston Christian, who Northern Colorado lost to, 
or Northern Colorado gets a team that executes poorly like Idaho did against Northern Colorado in week five when Northern Colorado still lost by 20. Well, week six, Northern Colorado runs into juggernaut Sacramento State. Game's 55 to seven. Sacramento State, obviously the winner. Northern Colorado scores a touchdown in the third quarter off a 19-yard drive off a fumble recovery. That was it offensively for what Northern Colorado could do. This game was... 24 to, to zero at half Sacramento state. Then Sacramento state puts up 21 in the third quarter to uh, bring their margin up to 45 to, to seven at the end of, end of the third. So look, this was a bloodbath the entire way. Uh, the, the, the bit I watched, uh, you know, Northern Colorado, the one yard pass, the just assault of one yard passes was, is why there's a fork stuck in this team now. And in future episodes, I'm going to talk about Northern Colorado much less. Dylan McCaffrey, vintage performance, 16 of 35 for 103 yards. Yeah, that's 35 pass attempts for 103 yards, one pick. And again, it's because Northern Colorado calls only like two-yard passes. Idaho, was the yardage McCaffrey accrued against Idaho was very good for Dylan McCaffrey. And something, he was only successful against state of Idaho teams because Idaho State is terrible. And then Idaho had a terrible defensive effort in the first half, mostly based off of blown coverage from linebackers and, and corners freelancing in a, in a way that uh, left the middle of the field wide open. So the one week, the one yard dump off passes worked for Northern Colorado was when Idaho made it work. Yeah. Well, Sacramento state didn't allow for that. And the Hornets had no trouble with it. And as I've said a thousand times, Northern Colorado cannot run the ball. 24 rushes for 72 yards. Elijah Dotson's a very good running back who is just going to have rough uh, stat lines at Northern Colorado. Rushes 16 times for 50 yards against Sacramento State. Did accrue the lone touchdown for the Bears. Leading the way, the receiving room, uh, we had Ty Arrington, four catches for 37 yards. Elijah Dotson, the number two receiver, four receptions for 23 yards. Uh, but look, the, the Hornets accrued the Hornets. Sacramento State has 622 total yards, meaning that's the amount of yards Northern Colorado gave up to Sacramento State. 622 guys, those video game stats. While Northern Colorado put up 175 yards to, total offensively, it gives me no pleasure to make fun of Northern Colorado. I get a ton of pleasure out of making fun of Ed and Max McCaffrey because the the McCaffrey family, the coaching staff, is completely in over their head. Almost feel sorry for Dylan because I think Dylan McCaffrey, if he had a competent offensive coordinator, there's a world where he's a solid big sky quarterback. He's not the best. He would never be the best quarterback in the league. But McCaffrey has a better arm than the plays Max McCaffrey calls or the plays that Ed McCaffrey calls, whoever does the actual play calling there. It's clear between those two. The, both those McCaffreys are fine with the just wretched offense that we, we see out in Northern Colorado. Well, it's back. It took a break against the state of Idaho teams, but the Northern Colorado, you know, and love is officially back, which is why I have a fork stuck in these guys. So Northern Colorado, number 10, another reason why I was a fork stuck in Northern Colorado is coming through their schedule. Northern Colorado has at max two winnable games left on schedule. They're not going to win this coming week against Montana state. They're not going to win the week after against UC Davis, maybe Portland, maybe at Portland state is winnable, maybe, and maybe at home against Northern Arizona is winnable. So uh, ceiling of four wins on the season. That, that's if some things go right for Northern Colorado. So look again, fork officially stuck in Northern Colorado. We're moving on to talk about 
somehow a team who had a well, actually no that's later top five portland state they had the least interesting week of the season number nine northern arizona talked about their game a little bit by talking about the cal poly game but from the um look from the nau perspective northern arizona needed to pick up this win this was much closer than northern arizona fans would uh would have really want this game to be we're, we're really at the point where if this was the misery indexed episode, which that's going to be next week as midterm grades for the conference season and your misery slash hope index is something I'm going to talk about for each team. Um, Northern Arizona is their team that if I'm your, if I'm that fan base, I'm not, I'm not particularly optimistic that look, the lumberjacks did pick up their second win of the season. They won in week two at Sam Houston. Then, Handful losses, including a pretty damn ugly loss at um, at home against Idaho and Portland's Northern Arizona made the Portland State game last week look respectable, thirty-five seven final score. But the Lumberjacks were down thirty-five to thirty-five to seven or thirty-five eight for you know a good chunk of that game. So not not impressive run for Northern Arizona, but hey, they pick up a win against Cal Poly. Absolutely something that Northern Arizona needed. RJ Martinez has a good game, which man, RJ Martinez needed a good game because he's had some rough ones after a real good freshman season. Uh, he is certainly not understood as a top big sky quarterback the way he was understood heading into the season. But against Cal Poly's awful defense, RJ Martinez goes 31 of 45 for 358 yards and three touchdowns. That's that is obviously a good good line. RJ Martinez also rushed for a touchdown. So due to Cruz four total touchdowns, you got to think that's a guy who's at least in the running for big sky offensive player of the week. Uh, Northern Arizona's running back room is decimated. Number three running back, Dracing Hall leads the team with 11 carries for 71 yards. The receiving room, Hendricks, Hendricks Johnson, uh, four receptions, 89 yards and a touchdown. So look, uh, okay. Week for Northern Arizona, Early on, NAU looked like a solid to strong defensive team in uh, how Northern Arizona has progressed in the last few weeks, including this this week in Cal Poly, surrendering 465 yards, uh, including getting just decimated against Idaho, 27 to 10. And last week at Portland State, uh, Northern Arizona, not not a particularly effective defensive outing surrounding 479 yards. I think we can say officially that the early season quote unquote magic of Northern Arizona defensively, that's a mirage. This team is just not particularly good uh, to me. They certainly are no longer a mid tier big sky team. They're better than the floor of the conference, but Hey, maybe they're just better than Idaho state because we, Cal Poly is our number 11 team and NAU just barely squeaked out this win. 31-29. It was a fun game to watch. It was competitive from wire to wire. Talked about the Bill Baldwin issue on the Cal Poly end, surrendering the two points. But, hey, NAU took care of the business they needed to. They come away with a win. Uh, NAU, for their the rest of their schedule, I mean, look, this week, NAU is going to host UC Davis. Now, UC Davis is higher in the rankings, obviously, than NAU. But there's, there's certainly chinks in the UC Davis armor. I'd but I would not expect this is going to be a win for NAU. But bright side for NAU, they play two teams that suck throughout the rest of the season. They've got Idaho State on October 22nd and then Northern Colorado on November 12th. So there might be another two wins on the table for Northern Arizona, which would get them up to four 
four wins on the season. Now you got to say in year, what were year three or four of Chris ball? I think 2019 was the first Chris ball year. Uh, this is not, I would not say this is an upward trajectory for NAU um, heading into this season, especially following going 500 last year. There's no way NAU finishes 500 this year. So I'm done talking about Northern Arizona uh, coming in at number eight, Portland state who had the top five Portland state always on this show. They're top five Portland state, Portland state had the least interesting week of any big sky team other than the intrigue about who in God's name is Lincoln university, because that's who Northern Arizona played. Uh, it's a school out of California. They're not NAIA, which that had been told to us on this show, uh, but Martin Heemstra crack researcher for Tubbs, the club, uh, I said they're not Lincoln is not exactly affiliated with any division that we are aware of. So uh, look, obviously Portland state beat the hell out of Lincoln 48 to six. Uh, I look on the ESPN page that I pull up for some of this. I can't even click on Lincoln, the school there's, there's their own five. I can tell you that much, but we're, we're six weeks in and there's not a whole lot to talk about Portland state. I am not going to dignify Portland state scheduling Lincoln with a run through of their stats against Lincoln, because the, again, we're in week, we're in week six of the season and we get a God knows who Portland state's playing. So yeah, we're not doing a st statistical breakdown. Uh, Portland state last, the, the last interesting game the Vikings had. So Hey, at week five, at least if I'm going to talk about them. Might as well say something kind of interesting in week five, Portland state led 28 to seven over NAU at the half, uh, tried very hard to face plant this game. The Vikings tried very hard to face plant this game away at the end, surrendering 24th quarter points to NAU. But, uh, anyway, Portland state holds on for a 35, 27 win. Last week, uh, stat breakdown from last week is quarterback Dante Sachere, 22-28 for 274 yards and three touchdowns. So look, solid outing. We've said for a while Dante Sachere is a solid quarterback, not best in big sky, but certainly a guy who uh, Viking fans should have confidence in. Or if you're going against Portland State, you should know this is a guy who can beat you uh, both through the air and on the ground against NAU. Sachere runs 12 times for 128 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, pretty, pretty damn good outing. Although asterisk, NAU defensively is not what we thought they were covered that four seconds ago. So Portland State, uh, this this week, the Vikings, who will have an imminently more interesting week than this week, because it's not possible to have a less interesting week, they're going to host Weber State. Now, last year, uh, Portland State had a surprise win over Weber State in Weber State's down season, but this year's Wildcats look a bit different than last year's Wildcats. There's maybe at max two wins left on Portland State schedule by my eye right now. Uh, on November 5th, Portland State is going to host Northern Colorado. And to close the season, Portland State's going to travel to San Luis Obispo for, to play Cal Poly. Uh, otherwise, no wins in my mind on this schedule. Uh, we've got, they've got Weber State this week, the week 22nd. They're, they're at Idaho. After Idaho, they're at Eastern, and in between those two winnable games, it's versus Sacramento State. So this is a Portland State team with two wins, one of which is Division One, that NAU win. So I think there's a ceiling of three D1 wins for Portland State. They're pretty close to fork-sticking territory. The only asterisk is Sachere actually does look all right. Now, Portland State cannot run the ball other than Sachere. Um, 
but th- there's been moments where Portland State can look kind of frisky defensively. VJ Mal is a guy on the defensive line to pay attention to. You've heard me a thousand times reference Anthony Adams, one of the best uh, cornerbacks in the league. But look, there is talent both uh, secondary and front seven for Portland State defensively. Not enough talent to win more than three three D one games, but enough talent to explain why they could be uh, a threat to beat a team. Probably they probably should not. We're done talking about Portland State. We have a tie at number six. There is no seven. We have a two-way tie at six. Uh, UC Davis and Eastern Washington. UC Davis had a bye this week, so not a huge amount to talk about with Davis. Uh, Eastern Washington did not have a bye week, although uh, Eastern probably wishes that's what happened. Uh, Eastern Washington travels to traveled to Ogden to face Weber State Wildcats for Weber State's homecoming. This was a fun as hell game for half the game. At halftime, Eastern's down. 21-14. This was a back and forth game. Uh, Weber State was scoring quickly because Eastern cannot defend, especially on the ground. But I mean, honestly, we're we're starting to look at the point that Eastern just can't defend in any capacity whatsoever. But the Eagles were able to drive against a very strong Weber State defense multiple times. Uh, however, second half's a different story. I like maybe I should throw an asterisk. It's a 10-point game. At the end of third quarter, Eastern's down 21 to 31. And then Weber State just slammed the door with two touchdowns in the fourth, shut out Eastern. Uh, that's a, we'll get to that with Weber State part. But from the Eastern, Eastern Washington angle, Gunner Talkington, 21 to 31, 198 yards, one touchdown, one pick. So, I mean, solid outing relative to playing a great team. Uh, leading the, leading Eastern on the ground, Eastern on the ground is Tuna. Altahir, guarantee I butchered the dude's name. 19 carries, 81 yards, one touchdown. Eastern still doesn't seem to have that clear uh, bell cow running back. However, Altahir led the team in 19 carries, so maybe he's become the guy. Prior to this, uh, I I don't remember talking about a guy named Altahir, so I'm just going to assume this is a recent development. Uh, Receiving, look, Weber's a tough team. That their you know, DBU is the, the moniker that... Weber State gets and uh, Jay Hill teams certainly know how to defend all league Eastern, all league wide receiving talents. Freddie Roberson, Efton Chisholm, the third uh, did not have great games. The two combined for six receptions for 50 yards. Freddie Roberson did have a real nice touchdown, uh, but for relative to all big sky level dudes, that's not a ton of yards. However, of course, Eastern only threw for 198 yards. So uh, what in God's name else could he do? So the thing Eastern is going to be pissed about, is surrendering 460 yards to the Wildcats. Again, defensively, Eastern just doesn't really stop anyone. Wildcats average 10.8 yards per pass and uh, 5.1 yards per rush. So honestly, with numbers like that, it's astonishing that this game felt competitive for three quarters, but it was. So shifting to kind of the uh, more broad view, talking Eastern first. Uh, Eastern's one and four. Maybe the best one and four team I will ever see because of scheduling. And this Eastern is probably going to turn into the best one and five team I've ever seen because Eastern's going to host Sacramento State this week. And just with the way that Sacramento State can move the ball and the way Eastern can't stop teams from moving the ball, there's no way that that the wild that uh, the Eagles are going to pull that one out. So there are a few, a couple winnable games, three, honestly, at least three winnable games, second half of Eastern season at Cal Poly on 1022, uh, hosting Portland State 1029, closing the year out, hosting Northern Colorado 1119. So that's three theoretical wins that could push the Eastern up to four wins. Uh, 
question mark on playing Idaho. It's hard to tell yet exactly how to rate Eastern because Eastern's looked good. Look, they hung tight with Montana State the entire game. Eastern certainly could have beat Montana State in that 38-35 loss. Uh, hung tight with Weber State for quite a while. Both those teams are good. So it's hard to gauge exactly where Eastern is based off based off their record. But we're we're probably going to we're going to move on from Eastern for now. Uh UC Davis is similar to Eastern in that Davis has Davis has a single win on the season. It's over San Diego. Uh, but Davis has looked certainly respectable in in a couple outings. We talked in their week week two. UC Davis lost by two points to South Dakota State. Uh, UC Davis also hung tight with Weber State in week in their fourth game of the season, lost 17 to 12. Uh, got killed at Montana State the last time that we saw Davis play because this is a this is Davis bye week, 41-21 last week at Montana State. So Davis this week has Northern Arizona. This is where Davis is going to start to pick up their wins. Davis sits at one and four, but their next three games are um, hosting NAU, traveling to Northern Colorado, hosting Cal Poly, then hosting Idaho State. So you have to expect this is where Davis picks up the momentum. This is where Davis starts to reputationally look a little bit more solid. But if Davis is going to have any prayer to playoff resume, they're essentially going to have to run the table to get to seven and four, which will include getting wins on the road at Idaho and at Sacramento state in their final two weeks. If this is team's playoff team, I don't think Davis is a playoff team, but they're, they're certainly do not have a fork stuck in them. Expect reputationally Davis to look uh, to at least sound like, like team, like they are a better team because look, a run of Northern Arizona, Northern Colorado, Cal Poly and Idaho state is the maybe the easiest month of scheduling any team in the big sky has other than university of Montana's first five weeks. So yeah, uh, you're, we're, we're, we're going to learn the next four weeks is look, if Davis loses any of those games, they suck. But otherwise I think we're just going to learn that Davis is certainly a mid tier big sky team when they, when the Aggies come away with four consecutive wins. Uh, so look, I guess we're, we're not going to know for sure if Davis is going to really make any sort of push until the Idaho game on November 12th. Moving on from the number six position to number five, another team on by University of Idaho. Now, we're, weirdly, the split between beat reporters and podcast contributors on Idaho, essentially the exact same. Only one one person did not vote Idaho number five. So reputationally, Idaho is clearly number five team in this league. Uh, there's not Vandals didn't play this week. Last time the Vandals saw the field was last week, week five against Northern Colorado kind of mixed reviews. Look, the Vandals win 55 35. That's a blowout. That's an ass kicking tubs. The club did an entire episode on it. So if you're still interested, you should listen. Uh, but you know, little chinks in the armor for Idaho came in that Northern, that Northern Colorado game is really allowing Northern Colorado to hang around as long as the Vandals did. Uh, you know, that, Vandal, Vandal, the Vandals defensively have looked pretty dang strong this year. Uh, but you got to say against Northern Colorado, look, the team had a handful of personal fouls defensively that were just backbreaking that kept Northern Colorado in this game. And that was not ref issues. That was Idaho making dumb mistakes. Um, Idaho also had offensive penalties, wiped a touchdown off the board. Honestly, 14 points were added to there's 14 points taken away from Idaho in the scoring margin against Northern Colorado last week in the first quarter where uh, there was a per defensive defensive personal foul that extended a Northern Colorado drive that had been snuffed out on third down. Well, that turned into a touchdown immediately afterwards. And Idaho had a long pass that went to the two-yard line, wiped away from a hands-to-face from a lineman. 
that's part of why that game stayed competitive as long as it did. But look, the box score is going to tell you this was an ass kicking. Uh, 55-35, Vandals punt one total time, accrued 560 yards, 298 through the air, 262 on the ground. So look, 6.7 yards per rush, 11 yards per pass. Giovanni McCoy goes 22 of 27, plus a couple of those incompletions were throwaways on purpose. So last time Idaho saw the field, I guess the split you'd say is offensively, the Vandals look like they're getting a little bit better every week. You wouldn't quite say that defensively. There's been a couple chinks against some of the less impressive teams Idaho's played, in particular Drake and in week three for Idaho and Northern Colorado in week five. But minus those two games where there's some chinks early, which Idaho rectified both offensively and defensively. Vandals look like they're a tough defensive team overall. This week, the Vandals Vandals face not their first test, but man, the marquee game of the week is clearly going to be Idaho traveling to Missoula for University of Montana. Idaho will be the very first real team, or at least solid team that Montana's played all year. Um, Idaho's a team that at number five in the conference, look, it's not shocking for five big sky teams to make the playoffs. So the fifth, fifth big sky team usually doesn't get a buy. Well, that's what most people don't understand Idaho as right now. Uh, the Vandals are, are now in a run schedule wise where they're going to play. They've exited their easy run after a rough first two weeks of power five games. Idaho has had their easy run of schedule of playing hosting Drake Pioneer Conference, traveling to NAU, then hosting Northern Colorado. The Vandals took care of business in all three of those games. Uh, schedule gets a little bit tougher. Tougher. Vandals are entering the, entering the meat of their season with Montana this week. Portland State next week, that's a game Idaho fans at this point should expect they take care of business. After Portland State, Idaho travels to Sac State, then hosts Eastern and hosts Davis. So this next month of Vandal football is against only minus Portland state. That's the asterisk. It's against very good, like top five team, top five in the nation teams in Montana and Sacramento state on the road. And then pretty solid big sky teams that the record, the record of Eastern and UC Davis as just covered does not, ref, does not seem to reflect what those teams are. Cause neither, neither of those teams are bad teams, even though there's only two total wins between them. But if Idaho is truly the number five team in this conference, as our voters seem to seem to believe, and as I look, I believe I voted Idaho number five. I spent no time wondering if I'd put the Vandals at five. Uh, if that's who these Vandals are, then they're going to have they're they're going to be playing some teams where the, they're going to get a shot to prove it. Um, a couple names just to pay attention to for Idaho. Uh, receiving room Jermaine Jackson leads the way five five in five games. He's got 20 receptions for 447 yards and two touchdowns also returned a kick for a touchdown. Uh, this is a team that on the ground, it's running back by committee. There's three running backs with 20 or more attempts. Anthony Woods, true freshman, 62 rushes for 359 yards. That's 5.7 yards per carry. Uh, Ju COVID junior, meaning he's been here a few years. Roshan Johnson, 66 rushes for 238 yards and three touchdowns. He's kind of, he's a short yardage back, but gets more than just short yardage carries since he leads the team in rushes. And then a uh, guy who missed the first few games of season and has been a kind of a revelation as a change of pace back, Elijah Cummings. He's a solid pass catcher, but he can, he's elusive on the ground as well. 23 rushes, 134 yards. Averaging 5.2 yards per carry and three touchdowns. So look, the Vandals look to run first. Defensively, they're they're pretty dang good, but cannot sleep on the fact that Giovanni McCoy 
on this season, 72.8% completion percentage. That counts two power five games. If you look at Giovanni McCoy against FCS teams, he's damn near 80% completion percentage. And half those, those incomplete passes are purposeful throwaways. So a lot going well for Idaho. Number five, reasonable spot. That marquee game of next week is going to tell us a lot about both the Grizz and University of Idaho. Coming in at number four, Montana State. Montana State obviously decimated Idaho State as covered earlier, 37 to 6. Uh, kind of the revelation for Montana State is with Tommy Malott out, preseason all big sky quarterback, Tommy Malott, touchdown Tommy, a big name in the state of Montana because dude went to high school in Montana. Yeah, Tommy Malott might not be the best Tommy Malott style player on this team. Sean Chambers, man. How has that that quarterback been a revelation? Chambers against Idaho State, sixteen to twenty-two passing for one hundred fifty yards. But check out, but on the ground, Chambers eight rushes for three thirty-three yards and three touchdowns. So the the Bobcats got a little bit of a reprieve from injury. Uh, Lane Sumner, who's very good early in the season, returned. He's running back, rushes fifteen times for one hundred yards. Uh, Elisha Elliott also sixteen rushes for sixty-eight yards. But look, we just have to go over some of the season stats for for Sean Chambers. Chambers has played in six games, but two of those were as strictly a running back, at least two, were as strictly a running back. Tommy Malott has played in four. Passing-wise, those two dudes have virtually identical stats. Malott on the season before going down with injury was 40-67, four touchdowns, three picks. All three picks came against Oregon State, so you'll you'll forgive him. 590 yards uh, through the air total. Sean Chambers, 38 to 64. So essentially the same. They're both at 59% completion percentage. Both have three picks, though Chambers' three picks did not come against Oregon State. Chambers throw, has thrown for five touchdowns. But got to talk about Chambers on the ground because this is both as a running back and as a quarterback. The guy can just run. In six games, 77 attempts for 615 yards uh, or a net of 581 because 34 yards were, were lost. Seven and a half yards per carry, 15 rushing touchdowns for Sean Chambers, guys. Uh, real question about wh- who's the guy who should lead the way for Montana State when Tommy Malott comes back. Uh, not, not as a put down to Malott. Malott is a solid guy who a ton of big sky teams would kill to have that dude on their team. But Sean Chambers looks like he might be a, a step ahead. And he's a guy who you can also put in the – he can play him as a running back and he's been effective, and he's equally effective as a passer to Tommy Malott. On the ground, Tommy Malott this year, 42 attempts for uh, 215 net yards. That's 5.1 yards per rush, one touchdown. Uh, different game situation because when Tommy Malott was starting quarterback, there was some time where Sean Chambers was the was the starting running back. So that's part of why you got the 15 rushing touchdowns for Sean Chambers, but uh, yeah, man, Chambers has been just wild uh, with as a revelation, both as a running back and as a court quarterback, uh, real question about what Montana state is going to, going to do when, if Malat's back um, upcoming schedule we have for Montana state is, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to the point now. Look, I'm talking about the number four team in the big sky. The best teams in the Big Sky have not yet really played each other. Uh, minus Weber State has played Eastern and UC Davis. So of the top Big Sky teams, Weber is the only team that's really had much of a 
much of a test so far schedule-wise. That's going to change in not too long. Now, it doesn't change that much for Montana State. Montana State, they're right now, sit right now the Bobcats, they're sitting at five and one. One loss coming out of Oregon State. Next few weeks, Montana State gets Northern Colorado next week. The first real FCS test for Montana State is uh, on October 22nd, hosting Weber State. That That's probably game of the week on, on the week of October 22nd. After Weber State, uh, there's a couple a couple more just throwaway wins from Montana State at NAU, at Cal Poly, and closing at Montana. So of the top teams, Montana State probably has the easiest remaining schedule. Of like They do play two very good teams in Weber State and Montana, but the Bobcats also get three pretty shitty teams out of their final five games. So it's inconceivable right now that Montana State is not only – that Montana state could miss the playoffs, but even more inconceivable, you got to pencil Montana state and is probably having a buy because worst case scenario, Bobcats are going to have two FCS losses, three losses on the season. That's worst case scenario. Uh, so look, I, I suppose if Montana state loses both those games, committee might look at that resume and say, look, there's not enough wins for buy, but this is easily a playoff team. And relative to the injury bug, Montana state has had the weather, that offensive line that Montana State has built uh, started with Jeff Choate has been continued by Brett, Brett Vegan. If you can have that many dudes go down as running backs and still it just doesn't matter, Montana State is a team that you know they're, go they're going to rush. Everyone knows Montana State's going to rush more than they pass, and it just doesn't matter. Teams can't stop it. So that's that's pretty impressive talent on the offensive line. Defensively, these guys, uh, it's hard to tell how for real Montana State is defensively because of the teams they played. Look, Eastern hung 35 on Montana State, but Eastern's a good scoring team. Eastern looked pretty dang good for moments against Weber State at for long stretches stretches against Weber State. Uh, UC Davis hung 24, but 24 is not a ton of points exactly. Most teams, if they surrender 24 points, are probably expecting to come away with a win. Other than that, Montana State has not really been tested much. They have two total tests left at the end of the season. That's part of why the Bobcats come in at number four. But uh, if we were doing the op the hope slash optimism to misery index this week, Montana State would score just fine. Coming in at number three, Weber State. And this is the only point, only time I'm going to talk about my personal poll. I've had Weber State at number one since Weber State beat Utah State 35 to seven, not surrendering a single offensive touchdown. Done talking about my personal poll. Weber State beat Eastern Washington 45 to 21. Game was competitive. But look, this is just another version of part of why Weber State to me is should be higher than number three. Number three is fine. Uh, nationally, Weber State's a top 10 team and they should be. But the look, man, the Wildcats, they can score this year, guys. 45 points against Eastern. Yeah, Eastern sucks defensively, but this is not the only time the Wildcats have put up points. Look, 35 against Utah at Utah State. Uh, 44, look, Utah Tech sucks, but Wildcats hung 44 on Utah Tech. You play who you play. The this season, there's been one game that Weber State has scored fewer than 30 points. That was at UC Davis, and it was turnovers to explain why the Wildcats couldn't score. Offensive coordinator, coordinator Mikey Mental, first year clearly has some room, is being given some leeway to operate. And this is not your stereotypical Weber State team of they shut you down, then they can't score. No, but this team certainly can shut you down. Uh, we Eastern is the first. First team 
first division one team, not counting their Weber's week one game against division two, Western Oregon. Eastern is the first team Weber's played that scored three times against the Wildcats. And this season, so was talked about in the Weber state broadcast, the Wildcats have not allowed a single touchdown this year in the fourth quarter. So you factor in what the hell they're doing. They're doing defensively in Ogden with the fact that Weber state can score. This is a team that for sure is in the, you should pencil this team in as having a buy in the playoffs. But you know, I said a second ago that we're going to get to a point where the good teams are going to have to play each other. That's in Weber state's cards. I'm going to talk about the real, that real quick, but just a couple stats from Weber state against Eastern. Bronson Barron goes 16 to 22 for 237 yards, throws a touchdown on the ground. Damon Bankston rushes 14 times for 94 yards and a touchdown. Dante McMillan chips in 93 rushes on nine attempts and two touchdowns. Uh, Josh Davis is a name that most big sky fans are familiar with. And Josh Davis is still a good running back, but due to injuries, um, it's not shocking that a couple guys are probably being are being a little bit more productive per rush than Davis. Davis goes eight rushes for 32 yards in the receiving room. Ty McPherson is always going to lead Weber State in receiving yards because Ty, Ty McPherson is one of the best receivers in this conference. Six receptions for 128 yards and a touchdown against Eastern. Uh, we also had Justin Malone chipping in three catches, 41 yards, no touchdowns. But uh, look, as always. Weber State recover, recovers a fumble. Uh, Weber State, they do have a little bit of turnover issues. Uh, Bronson Barron fumbles twice. Uh, also had Jack Burgess fumble once. Uh, Burgess is a it, Burgess was, was is a running back for Weber State. So look, turnover bug is a thing for a Weber State to watch um, when you're looking at the upcoming schedule. But this is also a team that's going to score on special teams. We had Abraham Williams uh, take a kick return 100 yards for a touchdown. Uh, we also had Weber State a couple times on fourth down, fake punt, rushes two yards for, for a conversion. Weber State is probably the best special teams team in the league. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And look, off, they're, they're not the best offensive team in the league, but Weber State is a top four offensive team in the big sky in terms of production right now. So uh, hard, really hard to – say enough positive about Weber, Weber state in my mind. Look, these guys just look for real. I, I spent no time wanting, wondering who I was going to put number one this week. Uh, Weber state in the future though, this is a team that's going to, they've already been tested at, at Utah state. Weber state also has already beaten UC Davis and Eastern. So I don't think there's any question. The wildcats are for real, but schedule gets tough pretty damn quick. This week, Weber State travels to Portland State. I know there's a little bit of intrigue on the Weber State side because Portland State beat Weber last year. There's no intrigue on my in my mind. Uh, if the only way Portland State wins this is if Bronson Barron throws a few picks and we have a few fumbles like this game after Portland State this coming week. Man, Weber State has a probably the toughest run any team has in the Big Sky. Traveling to Montana State October 22nd, hosting Montana. October 29th, hosting Sacramento State, November 5th. That's back to back to back best teams in the conference who aren't Weber. So, uh, yeah, th this this conference season is about to get real interesting in these next few weeks, especially if you're a Weber State Wildcat. The Wildcats close out the season with, you know, Pencilman wins against Idaho State and Northern Arizona. But 
thing for next week, thing for, for the upcoming weeks. The best teams this league haven't really played each other. That uh, that can't that just can't last the entire season. I know the, the schedule's imbalanced, and that does lead some teams to not play other teams. But look, not everyone can avoid everyone, and that's what's happened so far is in terms of the blue blue bloods of this conference. That's going away in October, late November. So look, we're done talking about Weber State, the number two team in our pool. This may be a surprise. University of Montana. Look, the Grizz are on by this week. They play Idaho in the upcoming week. Week before, Grizz, least inspiring performance of the season for Montana. Last time we saw them on the field when Montana beat Idaho State 28-20. to It's a game that Grizz led 28-6 to at one point and uh, more or less mailed it in. Uh, surrendered garbage time touchdowns. That's why the score is as close as it was. I'm going to spend 10 seconds going over the stats from that game. Not a ton because, look, Idaho State's terrible. I stuck a fork in them already. But look, the Grizz, Grizz scored 21 points in the second quarter against Idaho State and then seven in the third. Again, it's 21 to three at halftime. Sorry, 21 to six at halftime, 28 to six at the end of the third quarter. This was not a close game, but still, least impressive outing from the Grizz the entire season. Bobby Houck, probably pretty pissed. Uh, Montana surrendering 381 yards to Idaho State two weeks ago, but the Grizz accrued 454 yards. You know, not, not really a, a game that was close. Just, just uh, ignore the the end score of 28 to 20. That, that was not a close game. Luke Johnson, quarterback, goes 18 to 30 for 168 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, Chris Brown saw relief duty, one to two for 12 yards, and that's what I mean. Look, if Montana was concerned about that game, Chris Brown probably doesn't play. Uh, Marcus Knight had his on the ground. Marcus Knight, maybe he's back now. Uh, the recovery from Marcus Knight from blowing his ACL um, after the 2019 season has been a long road. He, Montana is pretty much running back by committee, but Knight maybe asserts himself against Idaho State. 14 rushes for 109 yards and a touchdown. Knight set the Montana record for rushing touchdowns in, 29, in, a, in a season in 2019. So, if he's returning back into the form as we're rounding into the meat of the season for Montana, that's obviously huge, huge news for the Grizz. Uh, leading receiver, almost as always, Mitch Roberts, four receptions for, for 41 yards. But there's a lot of talent in that University of Montana receiving room. Uh, just got to hit a couple couple things other than um, other than individual offensive offensive uh, stats for the Grizz because look, the Grizz are one of the best defensive teams in the league. They've played an easy schedule. Sure. But they're giving up 11.4 points per game. They've outscored teams 201 to 57. That's part of why, again, if you're going to play an easy schedule, like the Grizz have, what, what you do is beat the shit out of everyone. Essentially that's what Montana's done. Look, even the Idaho state game that was close for three quarters, the Grizz, even uninspiring did beat the shit out of Idaho state. So, that that's just what this team is defensively. They're unbe- unbelievably strong. Um, giving up right now, the Grizz are giving up two point two yards per rush attempt, which is just is freakishly good. Uh, and also, look through the air, Grizz are giving up one hundred sixty six yards per game through the air. So, I guess that's part of why, even though the Grizz have had a pretty easy schedule, like the Grizz are only number two because. Sacramento State has been tested more than Montana against good teams. Montana locks teams down on the ground and through the air. And this Grizz team can score better than last year's team. So I've got nothing to say other than the test Montana has coming this week, hosting Idaho, where even look, I'm a Vandal. 
on paper, the Grizz are obviously going to be favored in this game because the Grizz should be favored as a top five, maybe number one team in the FCS after uh, North Dakota State's had a couple uninspiring games. Look like North Dakota State beat Indiana State by seven this week. Well, the Grizz, who I just went over, how the Grizz have a pretty easy opening schedule so far. Well, the Grizz went, the Grizz traveled to Terre Haute, Indiana, and beat Indiana State 49 to 14. Well, if Montana can do that against Indiana State and North Dakota State can't do that, that's letting you know about the talent. University of Montana trots out both sides of the ball. They're, pro- they're probably stronger defensively than they are offensively. But the Grizz, they're kind of like Weber State. The Grizz absolutely can score. The Grizz can absolutely, absolutely win games because of their offensive effort. But then defensively, this if there's a better team defensively than Montana, it's Weber State. That's it in my mind. So look, the Idaho game is interesting, but the Grizz are done avoiding, not avoiding. That's not the correct way to say it. The Grizz are now in the meat of their schedule as well. In the next month, Montana has, I guess, to host Idaho, then travel to Sacramento state on October 22nd, and then travel to Weber state on October 29th. Little reprieve with Cal Poly after that, but then the Grizz close the year uh, hosting Eastern and traveling to Montana state. So, in the next, that second half of the season, the first half season, Grizz took care of business. Second half of the season is where the Grizz, Grizz is going to be tested virtually every week with really just one quote-unquote bye week against Cal Poly. Otherwise, look, that's three top 10 teams on the schedule with Sacramento State, uh, Weber State, Montana State. Idaho's receiving votes in the top 25. So that's four of their last six games are against teams that are either in the top 10 or receiving votes. So that's the, the Grizz are we're going to find out exactly how real these Grizz are, but with, with five wins already, it's going to be virtually impossible for the Grizz to not be in the playoffs. And if the Grizz pick off a couple of those top 10 teams, then you're, you're looking at a team that's probably got to buy in the playoffs. So uh, number one, the first time we've had a new number one, Sacramento state Hornets up Hornets. They're the team that, Stuck the fork in Northern Colorado, beating the the Bears fifty five to seven. Game was not close for even four seconds. Look, just look at team stats. Sacramento State six hundred twenty two yards accrued total, two ninety passing, three thirty two on the ground. Complete decimation. Now I bring that up because offensively, Sacramento State has more or less only decimated teams so far. The worst offensive output for Sacramento this year. Is, was at Northern Iowa winning 37 to 21. So 37 is the worst scoring output the Hornets have had this season. Otherwise, we're looking at, we'll just run through week one, 56 against Utah Tech, just covered in a uh, Northern Iowa week two at FBS Colorado State. Sure, Colorado State's a dumpster fire, but Big Sky team shouldn't beat a Mountain West team at all. And certainly a Big Sky team should not beat a Mountain West team 41 to 10. Of course, at the Mountain West team's home. That's Colorado State, who Sacramento State beats shit out of 41 to 10. After that, hanging 49 points on Cal Poly, then 55 in Northern Colorado. Yeah, Cal Poly and Northern Colorado suck, but every team the Hornets have played against, the Hornets just move the ball because they can, and they can do it on the ground. They can do it through the air. Uh, this game, look, Jake Dunaway, he's the traditional pocket passer. He goes 20 to 28, 258 yards through the air, two touchdowns. Asher O'Hara, he's their kind of change-up back, short yardage back, quarterback, and he also runs a ton. He goes 3-6 to six for 20 yards. On the ground, Cameron Scadaboo, 
might be the best. Look, he seriously might be the best running back in this league. He certainly looks like he's probably the most physical running back in this league, as long as Isaiah Fonse is going to be on the shelf. Scadaboo rushes 18 times for 124 yards and a touchdown. Uh, also for, for the Hornets on the ground, because look, they, they had a, multiple guys put in impressive efforts. Uh, Ash O'Hara, 11 rushes for 57 yards and a touchdown. Uh, receiving probably the best tight end in the leagues on Sacramento State, Marshall Martin. He had six sketches for 103 yards and a touchdown. Pierre Williams, it looks like he's just not going to get the kind of a, the number of receptions this season that the dude got last year as an all big sky level performer. He's two catches for 23 yards. But keep in mind, as Sac State's scoring a ton, they still have talent in the receiving room that doesn't seem to be focal point of the offense that previously was first team all big sky. Uh, Got to run through a couple Sacramento State stats just on the season. Um, offensively, Cameron Scadaboo, the reason I say might, there's, he's got to be, if he's not the, if Cameron Scadaboo is not the best running back in the big sky this season, he's at, he's at worst the second or third. Dude's got 67 attempts for 539 total, total yards. That's eight yards per attempt on 67 attempts. That's a right around also what Scadaboo averaged last season. That's just what the dude does. He's also a, a solid pass catcher um, on the team on, on the season receiving Scadaboo 13 receptions for 160 yards. That's 12 yards per reception as well as uh, two touchdowns reference. Marshall Martin earlier in the year, uh, Sac state spreads the ball around pretty well that Martin's their top receiver receiver as far as catch, uh, as far as number of receptions and total yards, 25 receptions for 342 yards and four touchdowns. But there are five Hornets with 13 or more catches on the season, uh, including uh, Marcus Fulcher, who Fulcher also is a running back, similar to Scadaboo. He gets gets yardage both on the ground and through the air. Uh, five rush In five games, 31 rushes for 191 yards or 186 yards, six yards per rush and three touchdowns receiving Fulcher, 23 receptions, 137 yards and a touchdown. So look Hornets offensively there, they are just, and honestly, they feel like a different, just a different kind compared to the rest of the big sky right now. Uh, Weber state has been looking pretty damn good too. Uh, but defensively, look, the, this is not a team that is, Terrible on the defensive side of the ball. Sacramento State looked there. They at times look like the Hornets are susceptible through the air, but on the season, Sacramento State's given up 18.4 points per game while scoring 47.6 points per game. Uh, that's an ass kicking. If if, if ass kickings exist, that's it. On the ground, Sacramento State gives up 3.2 yards per rush. That counts, you know, the FBS games too, which yeah, one one was a win. Um through the air, Sacramento State, a little more susceptible, but still Sacramento State's given up 6.8 yards per attempt. Seven touchdowns have been given up through the air. Uh, on the ground, five touchdowns. So Sacramento State's given up 12 touchdowns on the season. Uh, defensively, the dudes look solid, but overall, offensively is where Sacramento State really separates itself. They're also about to run into the meat of – the Hornets are about to run into the meat of their schedule as well. They sit at 5-0. and now the Hornets at least have kind of been challenged because I know Colorado State sucks. They probably they wouldn't win the Big Sky, but Colorado State. I mean, they're obviously better than Idaho State. Otherwise, uh, Northern Northern Iowa that was a thirty-seven to twenty-one win in Week Two for Sacramento State. Hornets right now are sitting at five and zero. Northern Iowa is a little bit less impressive a win now than it had been that earlier in the season, but 
the look the meat of Sacramento State's schedule this week. Hornets host Eastern. That that's followed up by a trip to Montana. Followed up by a trip to Moscow to play the Vandals. That's followed by hosting Weber State. So this next month for Sacramento State, they've looked pretty damn good. Hornets are going to be tested as well. That's maybe the theme. Is the top five is going top five in this conference. That's not Portland State is going to be tested. But right now we've got the, the Hornets at number one. I didn't vote them number one, but look, it's pretty damn split amongst the top three teams of Sacramento State, Montana, Weber State. All those teams deserve number one votes. Uh, Montana State, honestly, they should, they should probably be in that discussion as well. Uh, the top of this conference just looks pretty. It just looks pretty damn good, guys. There's, I don't know any other way to say it. This episode, as always, brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal-owned and operated since 1976, and are ready to take you on vacation of a lifetime. Enjoy a middle a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the Main Salmon River, no return. The Salmon River Canyons on Selway and check out special trips like the one to see the Perced Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring it close, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expedition right now. Give them a call, 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. If you give them a call, schedule your own trip. All right, guys, thank you for thanks for joining this week. We'll be back to regular regular showings. Got to hit the comment thread real quick. Uh, as a one-man show, I can't hit that quite as regularly. But um, look, Patrick Furrick saying you actually pronounced Tuna's name right. Okay, uh, referenced that earlier in the episode, but thank you. Uh, we have Mobin saying Idaho still at number five. Travesty. Uh, Mobin. I don't know. I, like the, they were nearly unanimous number five. And when people, I don't know who, whose people's handles are. I can't tell if how easily those are jokes. Captain 58 said Northern Colorado would make Colorado look like Alabama. Correct. And Max McCaffrey would essentially make any defensive coordinator. look like a future hall of famer uh, with the, what Max McCaffrey calls. Uh, we also have, um, Pinto says, do they win a hypothetical Colorado versus Northern Colorado if they had played this year? He's talking about talking about Colorado, Northern Colorado and Colorado. Uh, we're done running through the comments section, but hey, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, best way, if you like what we're doing here, please share the episode. Hammer that subscribe button on YouTube. Once we get to 1,000 subscribers, YouTube starts to pay subs to the club. Uh, if you like any, if you like what you saw here, make sure to tune into Tubs of the Club later this week, or check out other Big Sky Podcast Network shows. This guys like Weber State Weekly, Grizz Fan Podcast, RNR Catcast, Eagles Power Hour, NAU and Big Sky Sports. Look, we we're covering as many teams as we possibly can. This is probably the best time it's ever been for FCS and Big Sky content. There's still other places to look. Hey, Skyline Sports, they're going to join Tubs of the Club this week. Colter Nuanes, Skyline Sports. Look, the only daily show that you can listen to relating to big sky sports. So give, give skyline sports a follow, check them out on YouTube or podcast. But anyway, guys, thanks for joining. We'll be back next week. It is time for me to uh, stumble through closing this show out. Thanks for coming. And I am going to start just clicking on stuff to call the day. See you next week. Jesus Christ. Motherfucker.